Well, praise the Lord. Amen. I am so thankful. Oh, good grief. <laughs> well, go ahead. Amen. <laughs> Uh, Y'all really need to get out more. (laughs) I I praise the Lord for our great staff. Brother Case did a great job. I had others, Brother Jason during the week and Brother Allen, uh, Brother Steve Williamson, uh, Gary Earl, different ones preaching at different places. Thank you so much for all of that. Thank you for uh, uh, allowing me just to be off and to recover. <clears throat> My voice kind of got weak. I, I think it was that second sermon uh, that uh, this morning. But anyway, I'm going to get through it here. Turn, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians. Just a couple of topical sermons uh, uh, here because Father's Day is next week and then... Uh, uh, today, and then we'll start into a series after that. But I'm so thankful for this church. Becky and I were at Village Baptist Church last week in Destin, and she kept poking me. Well, I was sitting on this side. She kept poking me. I was, you know, I was asleep. And uh, I'm not lying. She was too. I got to poke her two or three times too. Yes, she was. And, uh, <laughs> and it was a good service. We had a good time. But they dimmed the lights, and you couldn't, I mean, you can't do that during the sermon. You can do it during the music, but you can't do that during the sermon. You drive 12 hours the day before, and you sit in a dark church, and I'm telling you, uh, I was mumbling John 3.16, and it wasn't time. (laughs) But I'm so thankful to be back here. Turn, if you would, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. As we think this morning about being a champion for Christ, hope you'll be here tonight at 6 o'clock. This is going to be the wildest Bible school you've ever been part of in your life. It's going to be tremendous. And then tomorrow night we'll start with adult Bible school. They pushed us over to the Illuminate building, uh, but that's good. It's got a kitchen. We've got our own place for our own desserts and coffee. And, and uh, we're going to be uh, looking at Holy Spirit praying through those nights there. So it's going to be good. Stand with me, please, in honor of God's holy, inspired, inerrant, all-sufficient Word of God. The Bible says in verse 24, 1 Corinthians 9, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain, and every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Father, thank you this morning. How precious, Lord, to hear these old songs. Think about that cross that you died on for my sin and the sin of every person in this building. Oh, God, I pray it would not be in vain this morning. I pray if there are those here that need you to be a savior of their life, that they'll come to that old cross. They'll bow their knee before you, and they'll invite you to take over their life. 
Lord, let your will be done in every life in this place. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Paul has spent 18 months in the city of Corinth, and God has built a great church. We need to keep that in that same order. Paul spent 18 months there, but God built the church. Whatever we do, we do and praise God for it. But I want to tell you, it's God who builds the church. It's not man, it's not committees, it's not organizations, but it's God. And now, in this ninth chapter, he's basically defending his apostleship. Uh, There had been some false teachers come in. There had been some uh, uh, division, some disunity, some disgrace. And then some dissenters came in, questioning whether Paul really was a man of God. Questioning if Paul really had the call of God on his life. Paul is not bragging here. He's not arrogant. He's not boasting. What Paul is doing here in 1 Corinthians 9 is telling you the truth. He's doing it in a loving way, but he's telling you the truth. God help us to have more men who will stand behind these sacred desks and tell people the truth. Just the unadulterated truth. The honest truth in love. God help us to have that. He's not fainted. He's not faltered. He's pressed forward and onward. He was as resolute as he's ever been in his entire life. Now listen, if, if there's uh, uh, someone, really, when you look at that last verse, in, in verse 27, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Boiling it all together here is not wanting to become something Paul became something. He said, I don't want to become a castaway. So because of that, I'm going to become a champion for Christ. Not wanting to be a castaway, Paul said, I'm going to be a champion for Christ. And if anybody had a reason to quit, it would have been Paul. My soul, he was stoned, he was shipwrecked, he was imprisoned, he was robbed, he was falsely accused, he was judged. If he'd have been a scared man, he would have already quit. He had terror, but the terror was the fact that he might become a castaway in the kingdom of God. It wasn't over men. He said, I'm going to go with God. I'm not going to become a castaway. Now, if you've ever been involved in sports, you know that there's a price to pay if you're going to be a champion. Anybody can participate and be on the team, but there's a price to pay. There's practices. I I went to school in Corrigan. I played football just a couple of years in junior high. I played my favorite thing, right tackle, because you could kill people. I mean, you know, (laughs) listen, in the 60s, we didn't have all this safe stuff. Man, you lined up. We come in every day to the field house at dark with some broken bones and blood on jerseys, and you washed them and went on, you know? And everything was great until you come up against some Rocky at six foot two in the eighth grade, and he rung your bell. And then suddenly it all became, we were ruthless in those sessions. We hit hard, but the purpose was not just to play football. The purpose was to win. Now, I don't want to be overcompetitive, but I want to tell you, I like to win. If I'm playing 42, I like to win. I try to find a partner that's better than me so I can win. If I'm playing Monopoly, if I'm playing bingo at the New Year's Eve church party, I want to win. 
And Paul said, hey, everybody's running the race. I want you to run it like you're going to win. Because it's important to win for the cause of Christ. Now, let me just break this down. He gives us uh, uh, the, the theme here. And literally, I know people have themes all their life. My theme has changed over and over. It uh, used to be my theme was I want to go where I've never been before and see what I've never seen before. But I've seen so much that I don't want to see that I'm thinking I don't want to see anything else. Uh, my theme in the last 15 years has been to finish well. That's what I want to do. I, I, I'm like Paul. I don't want to creep over the finish line. I want to lunge over it. I want to finish well. So he tells us about this race here in verse 24. In the challenge to become a champion for Christ, he uses this sport of running here because the Corinthians would understand the Isthmian games. It was right there. Uh, there were actually the Delphic or Pythian games and then the Isthmian games, the Corinthian games, the Nemean games, and the Olympic games. And they all took turns at different years. And the Isthmian games had a unique eligibility about it. You had to be a Greek citizen. Over 300 years, no one could compete in the Isthmian Games except a Greek citizen. That was it, until the Romans took over the empire and, and began to, to melt into it there. But, but, but you had to be a, a, a citizen. And so Paul focuses his attention on running this race to illustrate the life of a Christian. And he says there, when you think about it, our life is a race. The writer of Hebrews says it like this. Uh, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Time flies swiftly. Boy, time flies. We were uh, eating marble slab Friday night, and Isabel climbed up in my lap, and she said, Papa, it just seems like we got here yesterday. Boy, time is flying. Time's flying in our lives. Job says it like this, My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle and are spent without hope. Man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. James says it like this, It's like a vapor that appeareth for a moment and then it's gone. Psalms, the psalmist says, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine age is nothing before thee. So Paul shows us the eligibility here. There's not international events, you had to be a citizen of Greece. If you couldn't get in the race, you could not be a Greek. Uh, if you were not a Greek, you couldn't get in the race. Now, he turns that over for the Christian realm and says this, you don't have to be born to be a Christian, you've got to be reborn. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, if you've got to be born again. If you're going to enter into heaven, you've got to be born again. So the eligibility requirement in the Christian realm is not to be born, but it's to be born again. It's to be born again. You can get a cell phone on a family plan. You can get a gym membership on a family plan, but you can't get into heaven on a family plan. I don't know how many times I've witnessed to folks and people say, well, my mama was a good, she loved God. My grandfather was a preacher. Hey, all that's wonderful but that don't have one blessed thing to do with you. You will stand before God on your commitment and what you've done. You've got to be born again. Philippians 3.14, Paul said, I press toward the goal. So the question right now is, are you saved? 
Because I want to tell you, you don't need to worry about winning the race if you can't even get in the race. And you can't get in the race if you're not born again. So the question is, have you been saved? Are you born again? Do you know without a shadow of a doubt that you can get in the race? Then he describes the the runners in the race, uh, the athletes who went public. Uh, I've told people before, ask them, were you, are you a Christian? I had a talk on the elevator. It was about 11 o'clock, I guess, Friday I'd, night. I'd put some stuff in the car, and I rode the elevator up with this guy, and he looked like he was mad to start with, but he said, where are you from? I said, Texas. I said, where are you from? He said, I'm from Virginia, and I want you to know I like Trump. I mean, just like wanting to start a fight. I said, well, I, I don't have any problem with that, but I said, I like Jesus. He didn't have anything to say about that. <laughs> Nothing to say. I've had folks say, look, don't ask me about my Christianity. That's personal. That's personal. Well, it's kind of like being a quarterback without a football team. It's kind of useless. It's useless to have a pitcher if you don't have a baseball team. It may be a personal commitment with you, but it's not private. Listen, there are no secret disciples in the kingdom of God. And that's what he's saying here. He's describing the runners who said, I'm going to make a public profession of faith. I'm I'm going to be an athlete. He said, you need to make a public profession of faith and say, I'm going to be a Christian. Now, it's a little different. Don't tar and feather me. But most of the time in the Bible, when we're talking about public professions of faith, He's not referring to walking down an aisle. He's not referring to signing a card. He's not even referring to verbally saying. He's referring to going through the baptismal waters. You see, that's where you make your public profession of faith. Talk's cheap. You need to get into baptismal. You need to let the world know, I'm going to serve Jesus. I'm not backing down. I'm not backing up. And that's what he's talking about with these races. So, Have you become eligible? Are you saved? Because if you don't get saved and you're not born again, you can't even get in the race. And then have you publicly professed your faith through baptism? Then he tells us something about the length of the race. This race at the Isthmian Games was 606 and three-quarter feet long. It's what we call the one-eighth of a mile. It's about two football fields plus six and three-quarter foot. Uh, And he uses a word here that's different. He uses a word not just run the race, but run all the way to the end of the race. Finish the race. Don't just start the race. I was trying to think of the guy's name. I, can't, I didn't have time to look it up this morning. You know, you're preaching and suddenly you remember one of these things you should have used as illustration. Akwe was his first name. We were planting churches in Kenya and on the Tanzania. He's like a hero down there. In 1968, he ran the Olympic Games. And uh, he got hurt in the middle of the game. And instead of quitting, he kept on. And when he got through, he finished the race. When he got through, the stands were almost empty. And there was very, it was almost dark. A reporter goes over and says, man, why'd you do that? Why didn't you just quit? You got hurt. You had a reason to quit. Why didn't you just quit? And he said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. I want to tell you something this morning. The Lord didn't die on Calvary just so you could start. He died and rose again so you could finish. 
finish the race. Far too many Christians are satisfied with hearing the starting gun and never seeing the finish line. Far too many have a t-shirt and they've made the team and they've got the uniform and they put the number on them, but they've never shown up for practice. They've never shown up to give anything. They've never shown up to do anything or to grow in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Charlie fell out of the bed Thursday night or Friday night, I forgot which. Made me think of this illustration. The little boy that kept falling out of bed. His daddy said, son, the reason you're falling out of bed is you're staying too close to where you got in. <laughs> Some of us Christians staying too close to where we got in. We're still on the starting line. Man, we need to peel that off. We need to move forward for the glory of God. It's not just enough to be on the team. We want to press on. See, we don't need to be a bottle rocket Christian. In bottle rockets, you put in a Coke bottle, take off, and they come down like a rock. That's the way a lot of Christians are today. So he's summing it up. you got to get eligible to be saved. And the only way to be eligible to be, is to be born again, to have a rebirth. And then you got to get on the team. You've got to be baptized. And when you come out of that baptistry and you're drying off on that towel, you need to make a commitment that you're going to follow Jesus no matter what. You're going to go to the finish line no matter what. Then he talks about, secondly, perseverance here in verse 25. Some versions use the word temperance, some self-control. But literally, he's telling us the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer will tell your temperature. But it's based on the circumstances that are around you. I left Lafayette yesterday and it was 98 degrees but it was 68 in my truck because I wasn't using a thermometer I used a thermostat I set that thing on 68 and see Christians who are operating on the thermometer when the circumstances change they go down and then they change again they go up and down and up and down and what Paul is saying is, you need to get on a thermostat. That changes everything around you because somebody set that thermostat. And you're not going to change. They're the one going to change. You done made up your mind. You want to know why people don't go to church when it rains? Because they hadn't made up their mind to go when the sun's shining. You want to know why people stumble in the valley? Because they don't make up their mind on the mountain. Why they don't live for God in the hard times? Because they didn't make up their mind in the good times. I'm going to endure. I'm going to finish. And in order to do that, boy, I've got 30 pages of notes here. I cannot get through all of them. I'm going to have to just struggle. This is the group that you should have brought your sack lunch. The other two services had a time limit on it. <laughs> no, this won't be long. First thing you got to do is it takes training. You got to strive. It's, a, it's where we get our word agony from. Intense training. Wouldn't it be nice if you could just worship the Lord one time every hour, oh, every couple of weeks, and then the rest of the time just go to the lake and go to the beach, go to the golf course, go wherever you want to go. But you can't do that. You can't do that. It takes time. You see, Jesus said in Luke 9, 23, that if any man would come after me and be my disciple, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. 
It's an everyday thing. It takes discipline of the body and the mind. Now, the reason it takes discipline of both of them is because there's a lag in the results. You can't have a body like Hercules by going to the gym one time. Amen? It takes time. You go and you go and you go, and then you see the results. But, see, we want the results right now instantly. It doesn't happen that way. It takes discipline. Uh, it, it, many Christians give up too soon. We need to make up our mind. We're going to go to the end. Well, I don't know when the end's going to be. None of us in this room know when the end's going to be. We have no idea. I'm praying it's going to be in the rapture. I'm telling you, I think at any moment the Lord could come back. I really believe that. That's what I'm praying for. But he not only talks about uh, the training, he talks about the rewards. And he says that these rewards are perishable. Do you know what the, the reward was for winning the Ismian game? It was an ivy wreath placed around your neck. Now, it don't take a rocket scientist to figure this out. That thing's already dead when he put it on his neck. And it's going to die. It's going to be green. It's, it's green right now, but it, that thing's going to turn. It's going to be brown. It's gonna, leaves are going to fall off. One week time, it won't even be there. He says, if you will do so much to get one of those crowns, how much more should we be doing to get a crown that's incorruptible? That won't ever end. What you do for Jesus is forever. What, 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 what about, Paul says, look at the people who will do this to get a passing trinket. And, and, and then I say, am I willing to do anything for someone who left the glory of heaven? Who came to this sin-cursed world? Who lived a perfect life? Who died by death on a cruel cross? Bodily raised again on the third day? And washed all my sins away? Am I not willing to do something to gain an incorruptible crown? Is there anything in my life that even rivals the commitment that I've made in aspects of this world? Our life is a race. Paul tells us there's an important trophy to win. There's an important crown to win. And we need to pursue the things of God. Sometimes the worst thing that you can do is God give you what you want. Mm. Many people are living their whole life climbing a ladder only to realize it leaned against the wrong wall. There are worse things in life than losing. One of them is being successful in something that doesn't matter. We, if you've got children, let me, let me tell you. Now, I'm just you take it or leave it. But you better be very careful that you never put anything in those children's lives that are more important than the kingdom of God. Because they will not forget it. They'll not forget it. It's kind of like football game you've got a receiving team and they kick that ball 99 yards and this guy picks that ball up on the one yard line 
He is doing a dance. I would like to do that, but I can't right now. He is jigging and jagging and dancing along that line, and he is run. He's missing time. He's back and forth. He's on, and he's going to score a touchdown. The crowd's gone nuts, except for a few people in the stadium who saw that little yellow flag back down there on the four-yard line. <laughs> and when they put that thing up there on the big screen, sure enough, his foot went out of bounds on the four-yard line. Now, let me tell you something. It doesn't make any difference how many tackles he missed. It doesn't make any difference how fast he looked going down that line. It doesn't make any difference how he jigged and jagged. It's all coming back. And there's a lot of junk we're doing today you think are flashy, and you, I'm telling you, it's going to all come back. Then he says, we're almost through we got some trouble. Anybody here ever have any trouble? <laughs> there's three major identities of trouble. There's the world, there's the flesh, and there's the devil. They've been the same three since the beginning of time. There's an adversary standing in the way of Paul doing what he wants to do. And he identifies him. If you were to say, Paul, who, who gives you the most fits? What is it, you know, that's, that's just tearing you up? I want to tell you, Paul does not curse the darkness of the sin-filled world. Wouldn't have done Paul any good to say, well, the country I live in throughout the Bible, they didn't ever have the Bible. The country I live in throughout prayer, they were always a pagan nation. They never had it. He did not curse the sin-dark world. He didn't curse the demons of the pulled hamstrings. So, well, it's the devil. How dare you, I fight that devil? No, if you would have said, Paul, who is it? What is it that gives you the most trouble in your life? Paul, without any shadow of a doubt, would have said, it's me. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my own worst enemy. He said, sometimes I feel like I'm just... Like Fred Sanford, beaten in the air. Some of you young men, I have no idea who Fred is. <laughs> Y'all look that up, it's good. <laughs> uh, Paul said, I'm my own worst enemy. There, there's a man inside whom I've got to contend with. Could I tell you, I don't want to say this because my son's in here. Maybe he's asleep. But could I confess to you that it is easier for me to tell my children no than it is for me to tell me no? It's easier for me to tell others no than it is to tell me no. I hear it, and listen to me. We got a big men's meeting planned here in a couple of weeks. I hope you'll be a part of that. I believe we've got to emphasize some men. We saw LifeWay's latest results there, statistics. If, if we win the children, uh, it shows 3% of those families get saved. If we win the mama, it shows 17% of those families get saved. If we win the daddy, it shows 93% of those families get saved. So I'm just telling you, we need to put some emphasis on some men, and we're going to do that. 
But I hear people all the time saying, what I need, Brother Charles, is an accountability partner. Now, we're going to do that. We are. But I just want to ask you, who's going to be your accountability partner? Who's going to follow you around 24 hours a day to keep you off the websites you don't have any business being on? You don't really need an accountability partner. You need to man up and be the partner yourself. I hear, I hear people, I see them on, uh, coming to church this morning to get my Jesus on. I've acted like the devil all week, but I'm coming to church. I'm going to get it right today. What you need to do is man up and get it right Thursday so when you come in here, you can worship the true living God. That's what you need to do. What, what parent with the best switch? You know, we've, we've tried to be good to children here. When we did this church and the, all of this in here, I, I, re, I said no cedar trees next to the doors because I remember those cedar trees where you had to go out and get your switch. I said no cedar trees. I don't care how good a cedar switch you got. I don't care how good a belt you got. I don't care how good a cast iron uh, skillet you got. You can't follow your kid 24 hours a day to keep him from acting like the devil. You can't do that. We've got to man up. We've got to teach our children to man up. It's, It's not rocket science. It's not one of these hard-to-do things. <laughs> you, ever, you ever got in one of those things where there's like 5,000 parts to put together? And you look at the book, and it's in three languages, and English is not one of them. <laughs> and it has in bold print, some assembly required. <laughs> what that means in Chinese is you no sleep tonight. This is not rocket scientists here, guys. The body will make a good slave. It just won't make a good master. You can't let your body be your master. I don't know whether you do it or not, but I talk to myself. When my hands are beginning to do something they don't need to do, I say, whoa, wait a minute. You don't need to be doing that. When my eyes are looking somewhere, my soul, if you've been in Destin, there's not enough clothes on them women to bridle a mule down there. <laughs> when your eyes are looking there, you oh, wait a minute. See, your body, the flesh, makes a good slave, but it doesn't make a good master. The Lord's got to be the master. The spiritual has got to be the master. When when Paul got up on Sunday morning and his flesh said, Paul, I don't want to go to church today. Paul said, you don't have a say in that. Hmm. Any basketball players in here? I see your hand. There's some, yeah. Could, could anybody dunk? Anybody can dunk? You can dunk? A little bit, yeah. I'm not going to make you dunk. You can go ahead and say it. <laughs> Be proud of it, amen. He, anybody else dunk? Did, did Dale could dunk? Ooh, have mercy. 
Anybody else? At Mason Creek, there was nobody that could dunk. Arabella, there was one lady, 90-something, she could dunk. <laughs> We've got a weak church here. We need to, we need to strengthen up some here a little bit. But, but, but let me see if I can, if, if I can make this make sense, and, and we're through here, on, on, on this uh, basketball thing. If we came in here and practiced dunking on a goal that was seven foot high, we'd all look good. Huh? I mean, I can't even dunk on a seven foot high goal. We'd, we'd, we'd sit around and thought, woo, y'all are good. I mean, we'd do the 360, we'd do the tomahawk, we'd do the windmill. I mean, we, we could just really dunk. We'd even have slow motion cameras of us dunking that ball. And then the game comes up. Here we done stole that ball. And we're running down that court, dribbling, all by ourselves. And we go up to dunk. Boing! The ball flies out. You know why? Because the goal in real life is 10 foot. And you can't win in a 10-foot goal if you're practicing with a 7-foot goal. And we got a whole lot of us who are patting each other on the back. We're making great Christians on Sunday because we're practicing in 7-foot goals. But we ain't much on Monday or Tuesday. Because when you get out in the world... The world is a 10-foot goal. And you can't translate practicing in a 7-foot goal over to a 10-foot goal. I'm concerned. Our Southern Baptist Convention is meeting this week. It's the first one I've missed in 24 years. The reason I'm missing this one is because we have in Vacation Bible School. And Vacation Bible School becomes before the Southern Baptist Convention. I've been able to Keep it away from that for 24 years, but with Christy, you just say whatever you want. <laughs> and I love it. <laughs> We've got a society. We've got churches, Baptist churches, that are saying, let's embrace this immoral lifestyle. Let's be tolerant. We've got to reach people. I mean, people, Brother Charles, people want to come in and feel like they're in a community shelter. They want a safe space. Could I just tell you, if you're here without Jesus this morning, I hope you're so unsafe. I hope you're trembling. And they say, we, we want to embrace this. We're going to be the kind of church that embrace. No, 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 you're not. You're going to be the kind of church that's going to lower the goal to seven foot. It does matter how you speak. It does matter how you dress. It does matter how you study. It matters what you put in your mind. All of those things matter. And this ought to be one place, one place in the entire world that the young people and the children could come and hear the truth. This ought to be it. But 
preacher, I got liberties and I got freedom. <laughs> I've been with frozen. I'm let it go. <laughs> I want to set the bar high for myself. And I want to set the bar high for this church. What he's saying when it sums all of it up is we do not need to be teaching our young people that they can dunk in a seven-foot goal when they walk out of this auditorium and get in real life and the goal's ten-foot. We need to tell them the truth. And we need to be living the truth. And so he sums it all up again. He said, step one, have you made a personal commitment? Are you reborn? Would you bow your head all over this and nobody looking all over? If you're here today and you say, preacher, I have been reborn. I'm saved. I have Would you just slip up your hand? I've been saved and I know I'm saved and I've been reborn. Amen. Thank you. You know what? There are several. Not everybody in this place could raise their hands. Listen, you can't get in the race to be a champion if you don't be reborn first. And I'm going to ask you in just a few moments, we're going to have a time of invitation. Nobody's going to come to you. Nobody's going to embarrass you. None whatsoever. If the Holy Spirit's not strong enough to move you, then you stay right where you are. Don't you dare get up. But if the Holy Spirit's moving you, and today is your day of salvation, that you would come to this altar and take one of these ministers and say, Look, I need to be saved. I need to be reborn again. I need to be born again. I'm going to ask you to do it. But maybe you're sitting here and you say, Preacher, I know I've been born again, but I've never been baptized. You can't get on the team. That's your public profession. These athletes would stand up and say, I'm going to be an athlete. I'm going to endure to the end. That's what a Christian does in the baptismal. I'm going to stand for Jesus. I'm going to endure to the end. Maybe you just need to come and say, I need to be baptized. Maybe today you just need to come and say, look, I need to get on the team. I've been saved. I've been baptized. I want to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to cross the finish line. I'm not going to give out. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to back up. I'm going to cross that finish line. I want to be a champion for the Lord Jesus Christ. I want a crowns in heaven that I can gather and place at the feet of Jesus. If I spend all my time running for perishable crowns, how much more should I be doing for imperishable crowns? Father, we ask you, Lord, to have your way right now. God, in every life that's in this place, don't let a soul leave here. We, we ask you, Lord, to just take the devil and not let him have anything to do in this service. Lord, from the north, from the south, from the east, from the west, let your spirit have control. In the precious, mighty name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand with me? As we begin to sing, you need to come. Come on right now. One of us will meet you. Come on. Don't wait on anybody else. Just come on. How sweet the sound. Amazing love. Now flowing down. 
from hands and feet that were nailed to the tree. As grace flows down and covers me, covers me. Teach me so. 